Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to another episode of On The Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Miguel Delaney. On today's episode, Germany makes the World Cup is no news. But does Germany making the World Cup ahead of everyone else put their noses in front? Also, one of the world's greatest players opens up about the mental strain of being at the top of his game. Now, it's a question of will he or won't he take early retirement? And will club or country have the last say? And now the geordification of Europe begins. Who are the likely lads from the continent who will be hoping the fog on the Tyne is all theirs, all theirs in the next transfer window. Let's start off with Newcastle. Big news over here, obviously. But what about in Europe, Andy? Are, are, are people as excited about what the new Newcastle may bring or not? It's huge news, Don, because the new owners are incredibly rich. Um, the, the, the human rights aspect of it and um, the problematic side of that has, has not really been explored. Um, but of course, the impact that it might have on European football. I mean, straight away, there are a few desperate clubs out there who are thinking, well, maybe we can offload a few mm -hmm. players here. I mean, it's been it's been interesting that the, the first players they've been linked with are... Paris Saint-Germain and Real Madrid cast-offs. And that's before we get to the inev inevitable Felipe Coutinho, of course, <laughs> <laughs> who has got to end up somewhere at some point. But in terms of the, the, the moral aspect of it and the effect that it might have on the sporting competition, the effect that it might have on the sporting competition is, is, has been noted. I think particularly in Spain and France, um, and France, of course, they've seen the effect of, of big money um, state level investment um, that they, they know it can really shake up a league so um, that, that that is is something that is expected to change but if we go back to the middle of 2011 when Paris Saint-Germain were taken over by uh, QSI um, 
the the, the sports investment wing of the the Qatari government. It, the, the the moral side of it, and actually the sporting balance side of it, was never really intensely examined in in the French media. Now it's something that obviously is is still discussed a lot in in France in terms of, you know, we need more competitive balance. Is it diminishing the league? Um, where is the money coming from? And it, is is that right? That's something that's discussed amongst fans. Obviously, mainly not Paris Saint Germain fans, even though. There are, I, I would say, a relatively small band of PSG ultras who think that the club has drifted from what it should be. That immediately after the takeover um, saw the, the, the ultras drift further from the club. The club has invited them back because they realised for the, for the Parc des Princes to be um, not only a place that's full of celebrities, but a, a place that's a football stadium of atmosphere. They do need the ultras. Um, and obviously their presence was bound in various security issues as, as, as well, that the, the club had spent a lot of money on back in the days when they didn't have any of it pre-takeover. But um, really, I, I, it's, it's the thing that's always surprised me, that in the French media at large, there's never been any huge examination of um, should this money be coming into the game from this source and also, never really is this completely waxing the competition because it's always been, well, you know, eyes on Ligue 1 are, are good. You know, if more people are looking at Ligue 1, that's good. If Zlatan Ibrahimovic has arrived, that's good. You know, it's, it's been fairly uncritical, the reception to it. So I wouldn't really expect the reception of Newcastle United's takeover to be any different and bear in mind of course that this is the only way that Newcastle United are getting in the news in other European countries because they've been way off the top for a, a very long time of course and they're not a, a Liverpool or a Manchester United they're going to get used to saying Newcastle in the way that you say but Miguel mm. even though Andy says or suggests at least that uh, some of the top agents in Europe might be rubbing their hands with glee at the moment the focus is on Spain, where there are a lot of players who need to be offloaded. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to Philippe Cuscino in a moment, but which are the players that are being linked with Newcastle now, from a Spanish perspective? Well, take your pick. I mean, there's about six hundred. But I mean, it's not. It's not. It's not. A, it's not a cliche. This basically every eight, from what I've been told in the last few days, and especially because of the current. How to put this? <laughs> Um, Brains Trust uh, in charge of Newcastle right now. Um, it's 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 not Manchester City yet. Uh, if it will be, it's not. It's not. It's not. A, I mean, they, they've they're, they're okay. They're just putting in place a football infrastructure. But because of that, when it's just a takeover like that, and there is a kind of degree of uncertainty, every single agent is kind of looking right. Okay, there's an opportunity here to move players to. Um, to get, to get some big deals done, and I mean, maybe it's come a little bit too late for Barcelona. Actually, I mean, I had this takeover. I mean, did, did, one of those kind of uh, butterfly effects in football. But had this takeover happened last year or a few months ago, then who knows? Maybe Barcelona could have kept uh, Leo Messi because because uh, new, new, uh, they're like the Gwyneth Paltrow yeah, of European yeah, football. Yeah, yeah, because because Newcastle. <laughs> some, some, someone in the game pointed out to me: yeah, Newcastle could be they're in. They don't want to get themselves in from purely from a football perspective. They don't get them get themselves into an Everton situation where 
they're um, they're they all, spent the money before they had the infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, and, and always finding players that mm. just kind of take them to a certain level, but never break beyond. And a key example of that was what was it two windows ago when Everton basically took three or four players off Barcelona, basically helped helped Barcelona clear their uh, temporarily clear their financial troubles for that win early. Or sorry, more so. It temporarily kind of balanced the books for that window. That's why Neymar was blowing kisses at Yeri Mina the other day. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so so I, I, I suppose it's it's the big three in Spain that um, although Madrid have stabilised a little bit in that regard, just because they've got so much big players off the books. Um, Barcelona have still have so much. I mean, again, we come back to Felipe Coutinho. That's mm. that's that one that's not going away. Atletico Madrid are kind of um, because they have quite. I mean, there's, even though they're the champions. They're, they're a squad almost, it feels kind of, they're between squads. So it's kind of the core of a potential new group. And then there's quite a lot of players maybe on the wrong side of their careers. Um, so an, another, I suppose it's, 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 it's the flip side of this situation. An, another kind of potential superpower, another super wealthy club offers opportunity for others to get rid of players in what had become a really congested market. But then the flip side of that is eventually after a while, they just become another one of the kind of if- if this Newcastle thing does pan out as people think, they just become another superpower. And and again, one thing that should be mentioned, another, I mean, in terms of the kind of landscape of European football, who are we talking about now as the powers? Basically, it's Paris Saint-Germain, Bayern Munich, Juventus. Neither of the Milan clubs are there yet. So that was, that's that's three, but three satellite clubs in their own countries. Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, despite everything and six in England now potentially seven in England and that kind of that, just, that actually I, I think that's that's the interesting aspect in itself the way it tips to balance so what it's actually seven, speaking, seven or thirteen speaking of that Miguel I was having an interesting discussion with Danny Kelly the other day who he thinks Newcastle coming into money will accelerate the arrival of a European Super League my thought is it might actually do the opposite because the pressure really as we've seen from the mm. clubs who are still into the idea, which are um, mainly Real Madrid, um, yeah. Barcelona and Juventus, that, that is, is kind of a cash grab. Whereas, I mean, the, the pressure has never really been coming from the Premier League. No, no, they, yeah. you, know, you know, there's there's an acquiescence there, but it's a rare league where then the biggest clubs aren't reliant on the Champions League. You know, if mm. Chelsea had that bad season under Mourinho, miss out, it's fine. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's just fine financially. Obviously, right, there's a visibility concern if you get into the Arsenal zone where you're absent for a for a long time. But it's never going to financially ruin any of those clubs, is it? What was Danny's hmm. argument that it would for why it would accelerate the whole European Super League notion? Because Newcastle won't want to be left out. So you know, their their owners they're not, would, they're not in it yet. Yeah, yeah, but their owners would not accept be being left out at the of the Champions League and there's only a certain amount of Champions League places which I think is quite an interesting argument yeah but uh, one of the other arguments is that as we get used in in the British leagues to seeing uh, foreign investment come whether from nations or huge billionaires individual billionaires we also get used it almost follows that 
the, the, the first indication that this club has got money is that they invite a a coach from overseas, particularly a club like Newcastle, which is, you know, even though they had that Rafa Benitez spell for a moment, but it's essentially a club that has always had sort of homegrown coaches, mm-hmm. uh, even going, you know, digging to the point of having Alan Shearer be the coach for a period of... Not, but when we look at Europe, who are the coaches likely to come over? It does seem as if... You know, Steve Bruce, I know he's had a meeting with the owners just last week, so, but it does appear, They want them out. Yeah, they're, 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 of course. They're, they're, his days are numbered. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I hate to push the man out the door, but, you know, yeah. he's a gooner. Uh, he? I, I think they'll struggle for any... I mean, from what I'm told, there was an attempt, or at least kind of an investigation, whether Conte would be interested, and there's no interest. I mean, he didn't go to Spurs in the... Um, in in the summer and the rebuild's a bit too far back, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I I mean, I I I can't see them going. This is some information and some good. I can't see them going for, uh, for a foreign coach yet. Um, really, even no, as no, a no. statement of intent? No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, and I think that, I mean, Favre has been mentioned. It does make a certain amount of sense. I think it's more likely to get to get to uh, someone like Eddie Howe. I, th- I think I think Favre is interesting because a you look at some of his jobs where he's pulled teams out of very unpromising mm. situations and rapidly improved them. Whether that be Dortmund in a difficult spell or Borussia Mönchengladbach when he took them over and they were bottom of the table, and a year and a half later they were in the Champions League thanks to him. I, I think that makes a lot of sense if he comes with a sporting director. But it's what Miguel was saying about creating that sporting infrastructure. And there's there's been nothing at Newcastle for a while. So they've really got to create that from scratch. And, you know, the the, the new owners, credit to them, they've they've realised that. They've realised that that's important. Interestingly, if he was not otherwise engaged, this would be the perfect situation for Rafa Benitez, not just because he has um, the knowledge of the city and the club and the relationship with the supporters, but because he's always dreamed of being the manager, not just the coach. He would be able to go in there at the moment and say, these are the players you should buy. Yeah, yeah, and they would actually respond to that. Whereas he spent a huge part of his top flight career, sort of yeah, yeah, battle, yeah. battling sporting directors and battling boards and saying, "I need more money. I need these players. I need more control." Yeah, only to be rebuffed. Whereas in this situation, it would actually be quite welcome, wouldn't and, it? And he he was very dignified when he was rebuffed. By the way, so as far as, far as well, sometimes. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> let me throw that. And by the way, this question is actually from Vic. Uh, I stole your thunder. Vic, and I do apologise, um, he had already tweeted asking which Continental manager would be the ideal appointment for the Newcastle project. You can tweet us at any time, at Andy Brassel, at Miguel Delaney, at Dotton Adebayo, or at Football Ramble as well. Okay, it, 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 it might not immediately, there might not be an immediate obvious candidate, but do you agree with Miguel that it's unlikely to be a continental manager yourself, Andy? Um, I'm not sure. I, th- I think I think it can be done. But like I said, I think most coaches who you can think of, they are head coaches. They're not managers, which which I think is a really important distinction in this situation because that's the problem. There's just been this sort of, you know carelessness with which Newcastle have run been run for ages that's shown on and off the pitch you know I, I think on pitch as I was saying on the ramble last week it's really the 
the tip of the iceberg. It's just yeah. an expression, the ultimate and public expression of the sort of neglect with which the club's been run. But really, like they, if say a father was going to come in, for example. I can't tell you how important like a Ralph Ranick or, or something would be to them. If they if they could get Ralph Ranick as sporting director, that would be fantastic because there is someone who can set a culture, a philosophy, a way of doing business, already speaks excellent English, is respected in the English game. Of course, he was on the shortlist for the England job before. And someone who can yeah establish a way of doing things that doesn't currently exist I, I think that's that's pretty important going forward yeah just one more question to be resolved I suppose in, on this topic is um how do you teach a Brazilian called Philippe to say fog on the times all mine all mine <laughs> well I think the question there is did Emerson get away with saying Middlesbury <laughs> when he was there? And he did. <laughs> so when is he coming? When is he arriving? Felipe Cuccino, it seems like <laughs> it's well, a I mean, deal uh, they, they've, they've apparently got 200 million to spend in January, not because of the um, new owners pumping money in or any tradition like that, but because Ashley was running them on such a kind of... Um, Tightrope, yeah, no, yeah, well, almost kind of like just a existence basis for so long that they're, 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 they 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 can actually quite easily meet FFP um, with up to a two hundred million expenditure. So it'll be interesting to see where that where that money goes for uh, for because there is such potential for those outside Newcastle to see, but. Um, yeah. How much of that would they have to use for Felipe Coutinho right now? I mean, but Barcelona, they're not exactly well, in a strong negotiating position, are right, they? Right, exactly. Mm. So it won't be 100 million as they paid. No, no, no. No way. No way. Play by Gillespie. Going down that line. Sergei chasing after him. The cross coming in, and it's a good one. It's a hat trick. A hat trick for Espia. 3 0. Wonderful stuff for Newcastle. Let's move on to talk about Germany. The national team under Hansi Flick, it seems to have turned a corner given the way that they exited from the Euros just a few months ago. But it's part of a Hansi Flick project. And I didn't realise, Andy, that there was such a thing as a Hansi Flick effect. But it is an actual thing, isn't it? I think it is. Uh, And... It's it's interesting because of the the way that he went in and made such an incredible instant impact at at Bayern. He's been expected to do exactly the same thing with with Germany, and in a way, there's there's great similarities in that Bayern were had sort of become a bit of a rabble in the back end of the the Niko Kovac era. Probably still good enough to win the league, but th- th- this is. This is a different thing, of of course, in in some ways, because you know club and um, country management are very different. But but in some ways as well, it's totally the same because what he did was gave new ideas and gave new life and repurposed existing players when he was at Bayern. And so those are the qualities that immediately make you think this is someone who can can do something for the national team. Now, of course, because of what he did at Bayern, he's not just expected to deliver successful football for Germany, 
but exciting football. I think we can tick that box already. It's been pretty good so far. Um, there have been myriad shortcomings, particularly defensively, where, well, they never would have said this a year ago, but thank goodness for Antonio Rudiger. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, this guy who really has been reborn at Chelsea has been playing the best football of his career in 2021, but been doing it um, on the left side of the back three. Has been playing in a back four for Germany and done a pretty good job. Um, which, considering they 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 they're in one of their games in the international break with uh, Jonas Hoffmann, the Borussia Mönchengladbach wide player at right back. It's all very DIY. The defense still, and for that reason, and Hansi Flick is is very much I th- I think a a German Keegan. There's very little um, attention to defensive detail. He, he trusts big players like Alaba and Jerome Boateng, who did really well under him, to to, to just get it done. The, the, the fact that they play so high up the pitch, Bayern, um, left a lot to chance, but he would always back the front part of the team to to get it done. The front part of the Germany team now looks looks pretty good, I would say. And even though that... that That's that, amazing, that, I would even, say. Even despite that win that got them to be the first team to uh, from Europe to qualify for the, for, for the World Cup in 2022, in North Macedonia, they missed a pile of chances in that first half. Early on, yeah. Uh, early on. And, and then went on and took it away from the North Macedonians after, after half-time. I think the fact that immediately he's built everything around Kimmich and Goretzka in midfield is is huge. Mm. I think that's a simple and sensible way of, of of doing it, and it's a huge step forward from the Euros where Kimmich was sort of drifting in this weird right wing back position um, that kind of plastered over a lot of problems, but didn't really solve anything. Um, and then you look at the players in in front of um, in, in front of those two, as you were saying. And Serge Gnabry, I mean, there there are six players in Germany history who've scored more in their first thirty internationals than him because he's got twenty. Yeah, in his first it's remarkable. Thirty internationals. Well, it, it, I mean, isn't it, it increasingly feels like uh, Euro twenty twenty was a missed opportunity for Germany? Uh, and the but basically this is down to love and what because he'd been there for so long, the very feel of the team was so stale. Mm. And like, like as if oh, this, this is this, Germany are going into a bad period now. But really, when you actually looked at the squad, like the talent in it was immense, and it was just a yeah. case of bringing. They, they, they kind of just needed freshness. Now, just so, I mean, supposed to return to an earlier topic. Wouldn't Yogi Love be sort of the classic sort of appointment for something like Newcastle? <laughs> regard, Every, everyone kind of oh yeah, makes sense. World Cup winner, people like repeating as if that kind of <laughs> is, is an, an immediate it's, argument winner it's on the CV, mate. Yeah, you yeah. got to use I'm, it. Like I mean, I've 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 never been a, fo- a, a fan of uh, Yogi Love. Um, World Cup winner, but but I uh, well, I mean, <laughs> he, he does look like an aging member of Maximo Park. Yeah, I mean, yeah, ma- yeah, maybe yeah, maybe yeah. it'd work. Maybe yeah. it'd be a regional fit. But but this, I mean, where where sort of, there was always a sense that Love was a kind of largely a facilitator of talent who kind of took on like because even even his overall approach it was very much the one that was becoming um, the kind of stand the standard. Um, system in German football and kind of taking on a, a more kind of a you know Guardiolista or whatever you want to call it, uh, <laughs> high pressing, high possession. Uh, but but there was there was there was still just a sense he was facilitating all this. Whereas with Flick, 
there is, you get more of a, a feeling that he's imposing his own style on it. Yeah, I, I, th- I, I think so. And I think the interesting thing about him is he is a tactical brain who can think around how to get the best out of players, how to use them in different yeah. positions. Of course, he was the one who decided that Alfonso Davies was going to stay at left back, that David Alaba should be at centre back. Um, things that made a, a, a massive difference to, to Bayern, as I said, with existing players. But the other thing is, most coaches, you think they're either a, a player whisperer mm. or they're a tactician. Mm. Whereas he's actually both. Like the, the sort of loyalty and respect that he gets off really big players. Mm. That's super important. And I think when you look at the end of that England game that they lost in the Euros, and, well, of course, there was Jamal Musiala not being thrown on until it was too late. But then, when it was over, and Musiala and other players were being, like, comforted by sort of support mm. staff and the reserve players, and Yogi Love just, like, walked off down the tunnel. And yeah. you're like, come on. Like I, I know you're on the way out, but where's the leadership? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, that, that is something that. that is something you never get from Hansi Flick. He's someone he's very close to. His he, uh, absolutely, hundred percent. I think that's what I notice. I'm not an expert on um, Yogi Love, and but when I compare the Germany that I saw in the Euros just a few months ago with the Germany I saw play against uh, North Macedonia to to become the first team to qualify for the World Cup the other day, you could almost sense that the players have a relationship with the manager and his ideas and his way of playing football, particularly the front uh, three or four players, <clears throat> including the Chelsea two, uh, Timo Werner and Kai Havertz, the front three or four players seemed to kind of know what they were doing around the box. They were literally playing sort of like um, pass and move, pass and move around the box, in and around the box. And it seemed to be a system that they either never had or were not comfortable with in the Euros. I didn't see them play like that in the Euros with a lot of confidence around the box. And even though, like you said, they missed a few, not sitters, but there's opportunities. Good opportunities, yeah. yeah. Very good opportunities. One or two was down to the North Macedonian goalkeeper. who wasn't half bad, actually. Yeah. Um, but I think they were warming up to it. Well, In the second half, when you see them moving around the box, you just think, hang on. This is training ground stuff that they're doing. I think that's it. I think that the, the fact that they d- don't seem to feel they need a fixed point centre forward, I, I, th- I think that's quite important. And um, when you look at the goals that Gnabry mm. has scored, for example, at least part of that is facilitated by the fact that, you know, you don't have a Mario Gomez or an Oliver Bierhoff or even a Sandro Wagner. You don't have that, that yeah. type of striker. And Werner will make those runs out wide and create that space for Gnabry to go into. Just on that, kind of feeds into something wider as well. Um, I mean, and it's just another pity uh, for all sorts of reasons, obviously, this World Cup is being held in Qatar. Um, cause it, because it, 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 in so many ways, Sully is what I feel is an increasing purity to international football in contrast to the club game, where we don't have situations like takeovers at the closest equivalent, of course, these problematic host countries. Um, and it's much more a case of I mean, there's, there's no agents involved in terms of trying to trying to manufacture moves or kind of players who can you can go elsewhere. It's much more coaches now dealing with the talent they've got 
and trying to do something. And it, I think it was something that really exploded again in Euro 2020. And the offshoot is that suddenly we go into um, a, a, a flick, flick doing exactly this, as you say, with players like Nabry and that whole attack. We, I think it feels like we're going into this World Cup with uh, a really strong and potentially exciting field of, of players. With the, the last, last week's Nation League only kind of only emphasising that. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think so. It feels like a very open tournament yeah. at the moment. Um, I still feel like there are a few holes in Germany, particularly defensively. But do you think that's the case I, I now? With, with, with all, even even Fra- I mean, France again are probably kind of the strongest squad they've got. But suddenly there are a few. Deschamps' hole in the team doesn't look as well, like what it was. They're not as defensively resolute. There's, there's something slightly missing. Like I, I, I yeah, oh, there, there are issues yeah. with all of them. Yeah, I, yeah. I, this, I, 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 I think, think it's I, very open. Yeah. If, if like France with their set of players could come to a system that suits everyone and that you feel is mm. um, effective and solid, then I think they're the clear favourites. But but it's still an if, as you say. Hmm. Germany have got one or two players who will come of age, won't they? Um, well, Musiala's the one, really. amazing. And I think that the way he celebrated that goal, mm. or didn't celebrate that goal, against North Macedonia, like, you know, he's embraced by his teammates, like, oh, you're 18 and you've uh, scored your first yeah, goal. And he's like, yeah. well, yeah, but they're going to be loads more, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's not make a big deal of it. <laughs> Uh, it was an amazing reaction to a first but international next goal. Year, imagine him at the World Cup next year. If he progresses at the rate he's been progressing right now, he's going to be vital and crucial for Germany. And he seems like a team player. Yeah. He seems and, like a team player but, as well. But at the same time, a leader. I think that's really important. Like from a very early age, when he's first got his debut for, for Bayern, someone who not only plays like he belongs, but plays like he should be managing the game that he should be leading the game that's that's something that's that's, that's pretty amazing that makes him special oh absolutely so do you think that Germany well where do you think that they will place then because after the exit in uh, the Euros well they will make the qualifying stages uh, despite the fact that uh, sorry the knockout stages despite the fact that uh, they didn't at the last uh, time of asking but you said France might be favourites. Everybody's got problems in defence, including the South Americans at the moment, mm. by the way. So it might be a good time to not have a solid defence. I, I still need a little bit of convincing on Germany. On Germany. But, but, but they're, not, right. they're not miles away. What about you, Miguel? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they could come out of nowhere at the end of... Well, not out of nowhere, but with oh, so much fixation recently on France, Italy, Belgium... And suddenly Spain with this, it could be a tournament too early for Spain given the age of some of those players. Um, I think Germany could emerge as really strong. I mean, this is the other thing about it. They have, <laughs> because of the way the game has gone and most coaches gravitate to the club game, usually among international coaches, there isn't that much you know, real heft among career CVs. Whereas Hansi Flick is now a rare um, international manager who's won a major domestic title and a Champions League. His, his, his only equivalent is, at the moment is Luis Enrique. Or, or, or Mancini, sorry, but Mancini hasn't won the Champions League. Uh, this is a tweet from Tom who asks, can Brazil or Argentina, I know we're going across the continent, <laughs> beyond the continent even, uh, challenge for the World Cup next year or are we set for a continued European dominance? I still think it'll be a European team that wins it. Yeah. And you agree, Miguel? Yeah, completely. Yeah, I mean, there, there have been signs of encouragement from from um, 
from Argentina. I mean, win, not just winning the, the the Copa in in the summer, but kind of the way there's a, there's a, there's a kind of a doggedness and there's a de- there's a decent resolute. In fact, mm. they, they they could represent such a contrast to the way the European game is going. But it still feels like I mean, it feels like Europe has a fair few advantages at the moment. Autorizou Codesal, partiu breve, bateu no campo. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, I'm Hazel Hayes. And I'm Sheehan Todd. And welcome to our brand new podcast, We're Not Fucking Historians. It sounds like I'm saying we're not fucking historians. Yeah, we're saying we're not experts. We're not historians ourselves. Not that we're not having sex with historians. No historians getting fucked on this pod. Zero historians getting fucked on this podcast. We are, in fact, your alternative guide to Irish history. Every week we prize open the history books and find a new tale from the Emerald Isle's colourful past. We're exploring Ireland's traditions, its rich heritage and its long, proud history of being invaded by literally anyone with a boat. The Vikings were showing up at the monastery going, where's that booty? The earliest booty it's call. <laughs> it's the booty call you didn't want. <laughs> 50 Scandinavian Vikings showed up. Or our biggest celeb, St Paddy. He says he prayed up to 100 times a day and sometimes during the night. <laughs> That's what a five-year-old would say. I prayed 100 times, I swear. Patrick also said he was fastest in his slippers. <laughs> He's a fucking belly bullshitter. If, like us, you're the kind of person who's interested in history but not so interested that you'd go read a book about it or listen to actual experts, then this is the show for you. This is history done differently with a couple of facts and plenty of crack. So, join us on our journey through Ireland's past. Search We're Not Fucking Historians on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, we're not fucking historians. historians. (laughs) Sorry, I was far too fast there. We're Not Fucking Historians is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Finally, let's talk about a topic that we get, don't get m- many chances to discuss here on, on the continent, but it is a continual uh, worry at the back of our minds when this issue arises. That's about the mental health of players. You know, we we watch football and we expect players to be like machines and not to have the same sort of uh, psychological issues, uh, mental issues, uh, uh, physical issues as we have. But they do, don't they? And that's been borne out this week by um, some comments that uh, Neymar made, which seems to question how how long we're going to enjoy seeing this talent on the pitch, Andy. Yeah, um, he gave this um, 
interview, well, it was one of a number of uh, video interviews he did with DAZN for um, the series he's working on at the moment and a few bits filtered out where he said, I really don't know how much longer I can cope with top-level football. And um, he suggested that the 2022 World Cup would be a, a, a watershed. Now, some people have taken this as he will retire after the 2022 World Cup. Um, I seem to I, I took it more as he would maybe pack in international football after the, 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 the 2022 World Cup and I think if we rewind a little bit to um, the 2014 World Cup and what happened there to Brazil clearly that, that, that was a little different because it was a home tournament but the pressure on Neymar at international level has always been so great it's, mm. it's a lot you know and Clearly, the fact that you know he's been com- compared to Pele and expected to reach a certain level um, in the game, expected to lead his own team, which maybe prompted his move from um, Barcelona to, to to Paris Saint-Germain. Everything that he does is under such intense scrutiny. I, I can definitely understand why it would. Why it would be tough for him? I I just wonder, Miguel, if if it was a case of him leaving Brazil behind after the twenty twenty two World Cup, it, it, is that a good thing for Paris Saint Germain, given that that they're fully paid up for him for for for, for the next four years? Yeah, uh, probably because it could lead to a freer Neymar. I know the, the counter argument that is maybe what happens in Brazil almost imposes a discipline on his career because it's one of the. I mean, he's probably largely had his own way at Paris Saint-Germain, whereas that's not really the case. Although, okay, he's indulged in the national team. As you say, the extreme pressure in Brazil kind of put, it, it shapes his career in a different way. I, I, I was at the opening game of the 2014 World Cup when they beat Croatia 3-1. And it did very much, like you, you, you could just sense the amount of expectation on Neymar you have to produce here. And for all that game was kind of, it was the opening game of the tournament. There was everything about the Brazilian team around it, but it still felt more than anything, a very almost personal psychodrama for Neymar himself, which to be fair, he did step up to. He's got a brilliant goal in that game. Mm. Uh, and he, he was good throughout the tournament. And it's probably not a coincidence that the, the team finally collapsed in the way it suggested it might when he was missing. Um, I mean, they didn't seem psychologically ready to play without him, did yeah, they? That, that, by the time yeah, he got yeah. to the semi-final. Yeah, and, and that's probably something that's often overlooked with Neymar, I think, that just how much fortitude he has when it comes to Brazil. Now, he, he hasn't helped himself. I mean, I think, like, in in, in the last World Cup, I was uh, I was at their game against Mexico to win the last 16, where they were quite fortunate to get through. Mm. And he was he really kind of... This was one of those almost stereotypical Neymar displays where he spent most of it trying to manufacture fouls mm. rather than actually impose himself. But then I suppose some of that is a consequence of how much he's targeted as well. But yeah, I, I, I do think it has this, it creates this, it conditions his career to such a degree that he might be a freer individual. Uh, um, and, and, and of course, so much of his, I mean, if you speak to people who've worked with Neymar, they actually say that for all the perceptions, Deep down, he actually seems like quite a, a, a decent guy, helpful, rel- relatively kind of innocent. But that that changes when he has the entourage around him. And so much of that entourage correct, connected to the hierarchy of the Brazilian team as well. Um, so, I, I mean, it, it, it could actually be beneficial for his career. Because he there is an argument that he's playing under more individual pressure than anyone in the modern game in international football. But that's, that's the thing, isn't it? Because it's the... I guess it's the juxtaposition at the heart of of Neymar's career. The fact that 
on one hand, he's this player who needs to take the team on his back. Mm. You know, that's when he's at his best. When you look at his best moments uh, for the Brazilian national team and particularly during that World Cup, as you were saying, um, when you look at his role in the Demontada against mm. PSG that, you know, got him in Parisian heads so much yeah. when he was at Barcelona, the, the, the fact that he bent that game to his will, not not Messi, mm. for example. Uh, then, then you have that and the fact that on the other hand, it creates this prophecy, which is a totally impossible to fulfill. Yeah. And, you know, it creates this situation where he feels he has to chase the move to Paris Saint-Germain. It has an effect on his, um, on his choices, on his performances and, and clearly on his, his, his mental well-being. And, you know, I, I know there will be a lot of people never ready to accept that because they think he's, he's too famous, too confident and too well paid to have his problems understood. But, but that is, yeah. that, that is not reality, is it? It's, it's, it's something that's, that's absolutely immense. And having gone to PSG as the star, he's been usurped once by Messi, uh, by um, Mbappe now is being usurped by Messi, although obviously he did a he did a lot to facilitate that move. So presumably he's <laughs> he's all right with with that. But his form at the start of this season looks like a man where something has got to give. You know, he's 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 had his good moments. I know you're in Paris for his his performance against uh, Manchester City, Miguel, but it has been quite an underwhelming start to the season, and there has been a sense in France of since he's signed the new contract it's yeah. it's not quite well, the it, same he he's it, it, it has felt as well i mean bizarrely especially given he was the first of these signings um he's almost been the kind of support act or kind of the side character as so much of the focus has been on messi coming in and mappe 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 uh, potentially leaving mm. uh, and it's only and neymar has only been kind of mentioned in kind of how he affects both of those two rather than being kind of a figure in his own right but well, actually arguably that's had an effect on the pitch because uh, he's freer, like there's not as much focus on him, mm. um, and, and that, that was almost a bit of a like he, he's he's been left to roam more, and which which could be to his benefit as well. Uh, and he he was good in that game against uh, against City, I thought. Although interestingly, I think Mbappe and Messi linked up more. Certainly, they played more passes to each other. That's uh, a really uh, good <laughs> comparison though, that you're making, Miguel. Because the funny thing is, I think we're quick to judge, uh, we're quick to judge Neymar when he's not. Uh, the the star of the show on the pitch, mm. you know, it's almost like Neymar was missing. Whereas actually, he's doing a lot of stuff. It's just he's not the star of the show necessarily when it comes to the club. And what Miguel is saying there, comparing it to where uh, uh, where Neymar is within the Brazil squad, and we know there is pressure in Brazil because we saw we saw Ronaldo, didn't we, in Paris in '98? Yeah. We saw what happened to him. Mm. Let's not forget that that's kind of pressure. But it's difficult for us to know. What that pressure is, but there's physical pressure on him as well physical, because he he, he misses a lot of big games. Yeah, you know, there's yeah. there's there's, yeah. there's no getting Fair away enough. from that. So if you're paying the sort of money that PSG are paying, and to an extent, like the contract extension is sort of a marriage of convenience, isn't it? Because um, it's saying it's PSG saying we can't let him go for nothing, and we need to keep him here to fulfil. Um, the money we spent on the, the, yeah the money we spent on him and, and, and the idea that you know we were going to get this player who's going to dominate European football and I think from his perspective A you don't want to walk away from 
like to, you know at best a conditioned success and you know at worst possibly a failure because he's not been able to come through in in, in most of those big games he's not been present for most of those big but the games pressure's coming and from also his national team, also also financial no i think it's i think it's from from club level as well you, you and from from him fulfilling what should be his destiny in terms of like you know winning a Ballon d'Or winning a um, a, a Champions League with his own team in inverted commas although as we said Messi's come to to join him now but the, yeah the, the, the fact that no one else and certainly not Barcelona could pay the money to take him on has kind of left him there in, in a way that he's, he's not really had a choice there's no there's nowhere else he can really go at the moment well, uh, just a reminder that you can tweet us at Football Ramble, at Dotton Adibayo, at Andy Brassel, and at Miguel Delaney, as Adrian has done. Is La Masia back to producing top talent, or has the talent always been there but was just being ignored before? Well, they went in a kind of different direction, didn't they? Uh, having said Barcelona, we're, we're more than a club and all that sort of stuff, and, you know, the Cantera, the youth team is always super important to us. They then, in trying to get Messi help after he was physically flagging around 2012-2013, they went and started spending big on players and they became what they always hammered Real Madrid for. You know, this this mm. sort of collection of Galacticos and obviously it led them down the road into into the into the situation where they are now, overpaying for a, for a lot of different players. Um, I think you could argue that some of that overpayment is because they were trying to move on from um, a golden era, not just in Messi, but Xavi, Iniesta, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it, it, was, it was very difficult to replace those, those players. Um, of course, if they'd have hang on, hung on and had their little fallow period, it's all very easy in retrospect, of course. You look at the, the current crop of of teenagers they've got and well it would have been the perfect regeneration because you know no one's saying yet that Gavi and Pedri and of course Pedri wasn't an academy player he's brought in from Las Palmas Um, uh, but but certainly Ansu Fati those are players who you know might never reach the the same level as say a Xavi or Iniesta or a Messi but are players who can be elite players. There's absolutely no doubt about that. It's one, it's one of the things that's always um, struck me about these these famed and admired youth systems. Now, I should before I make this point, I should stress. I obviously think that bringing bringing young players through and probably that that's the way to run a football club, and that should be mm. that should be the ideal. But so often with these things, there's there's an amazing group of talent at the start that sets a standard and sets a mythology that just can never be recreated in that regard. Mm. It happened with Ajax 95, and arguably Ajax in the early 70s as well. It happened with Manchester United in, in the I mean, United haven't recreated that. They've only ever had individuals. And obviously it happened with this Barcelona where, I mean, they didn't just produce a great team. They produced, I mean, potentially, I mean, two or three of the, the greatest midfielders ever uh, and and the greatest player ever, maybe. Um, and then they, they never quite recreated in that regard. But... It's also interesting, I suppose, that just one of those quirks of, of history as well, the way suddenly you get, and, and maybe this is actually necessity bringing these situations, but it's when you have these particularly difficult periods. And again, now Barca have to look to the youth system. I mean, two years ago, even if they had Pedri, Gavi coming through in the same way, would they necessarily have got the same chance? 
Um, yeah, that that's it, isn't it? That the higher you, you get up the the football hierarchy, the more difficult it is to blood young players. Yeah. There's there's no two ways about that. You almost need a, a spell where you you bottom out to to, to, yeah, to bring it, those players it, in exactly. And then suddenly people have the kind of the freedom to go. Well, let's 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 put the kids in. Mm. And 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 it's it's actually something that shouldn't be overlooked as well. There's so much research now that that suggests that if players don't get a certain amount of football before the age of 20, they won't actually fulfil their potential. They won't become mm. the players they could be. And that's quite a, a, a crucial thing, I think. If I'm reading you right, a club needs a fallow period. A fallow period to... Well, I think fallow periods are inevitable. Yeah, they mm. are. But it needs to absorb it and accept it rather than trying to sort of defy it, as it were. Yeah, I, th- I think that that in the age of the the, the, the super club is something that the biggest clubs can't accept. Yeah, the, the yeah. Football is cyclical. <laughs> the way that football is run is an attempt to defy the fact that it's cyclical. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, that's exactly. Uh, but, again, but again, we come back to what, what is probably one of the core tensions in the modern game, which is that sport is predicated on unpredictability and competitiveness being revived every single season. Yeah. Whereas business, and that's what, and most to a greater degree than ever before. Big football is big business mm. is predicated on um, financial stability, and the two are incompatible. Continual success as well, by the yeah. way. Uh, uh, this other tweet from Ian: How did it happen? This is a good question, actually. How did it happen that national teams are allowed to play Thursday fixtures, with many of their players meant to play in Saturday league fixtures, thousands of miles away? Um, the pandemic, sure, but are, are there no, written I- rules that have? Uh, since been relaxed, allowing for this chaos. It's not the pandemic. That's a, it's been a huge source of tension between the federations because it's basically because um, Conmebol Ball crowbarred in yet another Cup America last summer mm. when that space should have been used for for qualifiers. Catching That's what it comes down qualifiers, to. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. I mean, I think there is an argument. I, I feel sorry for domestic leagues how they've been kind of left holding the baby in this situation. But I, I do think it would have been common sense just to bin the round of fixtures and, and and place them elsewhere certainly in La Liga which is really affected by this I mean the last international break you had Sevilla Barcelona mm. and Villarreal Alaves which were both postponed like pretty late on but it is a difficult situation for the league to have to deal with and of course it's another example of the fact that there's just too much in the football calendar and do remember, you can tweet us at any time at Andy Brassel, at Miguel Delaney, at Dotson Adibayo, and at Football Ramble. Right, it's that time of the <laughs> podcast when we get hungry. We get a little bit hungry and ask you both to recommend a tasty dish in terms of a games of the week for us. Miguel, you, you, have you got something to taste? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go for Dortmund Mines, the, uh, the Klopp Tuchel. Uh, no, it's not even the Derby in that sense <laughs> <laughs> but at least yeah, maybe in keeping with the ideals about managers it could I mean Dortmund have become the uh, the team to watch and you're, like, they're one of those teams like Betis a few years ago under Kike Setia and they're it's almost you feel you have to tune into Dortmund every weekend because you're guaranteed a lot of goals and a lot of entertainment what are you eating with it? <laughs> what are you eating? let's say you have to on um a Saturday. Oh, yeah, the timing's a thing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, actually, there's a there's an incredible. In fact, I'll, I'll give them a plug because I like them so much. Mm-hmm. There's an incredible pop up uh, Argentine Argentine barbecue around the corner from me on Saturdays. Uh, Mackey's barbecue. 
No, it's you can't have a better grill than the people who are actually at the game. Yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's, that, that's allowed. It's a hard mm. act to follow, mate. So right. hopefully you've got something mm. tasty as well. Sunday night, um, Barcelona versus Valencia. Mm-hmm. Because Barcelona, their, their current situation is fascinating. And of course, Gavi comes back having played more minutes for Spain than he has for the Barcelona first team yet. Um, there's the sense that, you know, these young players are really going to govern their season along with Memphis Depay after he had his lovely little tune-up against Gibraltar in the week. Of course, there's the fact that Cunaguero has now played a friendly for Barcelona, scored in it, um, back in training, and it seems the expectation is that he will play at at least some stage in in, in this. So an Aguero debut for Barcelona on Sunday night will be pretty exciting. Now, as far as food goes, there's always been this tricky question between Barcelona and Valencia. All, only three hours apart Oranges on the train, of course. Uh, apples. No, it's, yeah, all, okay. it's all about the bravas. It's all about the patatas bravas. Because, of course, on the patatas bravas in Barcelona and most other places in Spain, you get this uh, lightly spicy sort of terracotta coloured sauce. Mm. And whereas the salsa, well, that salsa, the sauce you get on bravas in Valencia is tomato ketchup. And I... I can't get my head around that. There's a lot of great stuff to say about Valencia as a place and about Valencian cuisine. Yeah. But look, you're going to have patatas bravas to pick out while you're watching this. Make sure you get the right sauce on it. No Tommy K, no cutting corners like the Valencians. Well, in terms of great patatas bravas sauce, um, the local swimming pool where my mum was from up in... uh up Navarra hmm. that was my first introduction to Patatas Bravas and they, really? they, 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 there was a crucial separation between the sauce it wasn't all mixed together it was basically mayonnaise Tabasco and ketchup but you could see it all and it was it was very well done wow yeah, yeah. oh you are saucy but <laughs> I like you <laughs> This was a Stack production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.